You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. You can find my writing at slicksports.com. That's slick, S-L-I-C, sports.com. You can also find me on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. Now, in today's show, we're going to talk about the Mets' first meeting with the Philadelphia Phillies, which ended in the Mets getting a victory in an extra inning affair. Later on in the show, we're going to talk about the impending return of Todd Frazier, how he impacts some of the Mets' young infielders like Jeff McNeil and J.D. Davis. Also, we'll get into the rest of this series the Mets have with the Phillies. But to talk about their first meeting with the Phillies, Noah Syndergaard was on the hill, and once again, Syndergaard was not himself on the mound. We saw some of the dominance. He did strike out nine batters, but overall, this was a start for Syndergaard that was encapsulated by his inability to hold two leads that his team gave him. And, th- and that's really what this whole thing boiled down to. In the third inning, Syndergaard first got some run support, three runs as Wilson Ramos drove in two with a hit and then scored on a Jeff McNeil single. That gave Syndergaard his first lead, but it's so important to be able to hold the opposing team after you get a lead, and Syndergaard could not do that. In the bottom half of that same inning, he gives up three runs right off the bat. He walked his opposing starting pitcher, Aaron Nola, to start the inning. He gives up a double to Andrew McCutcheon and then a pair of RBI singles to Bryce Harper and JT Real Muto. Now, real quick on Bryce Harper's RBI single, Harper was able to advance into scoring position on that play due to a little bit of poor defense by Pete Alonzo. Now, Alonzo has been great at the plate. He's been clearly the Mets' breakout star of the season so far with the home runs, the RBIs hitting for a high average. But there was still the concern about Pete Alonzo at first base. And for the real first time this season, we saw that cost the Mets some runs, really. Because what happened on that play when Bryce Harper gets a hit is Pete Alonzo should have been standing at the cut of the grass to cut off the throw, and to hold Bryce Harper at first base. Alonzo, a little bit inexperienced, takes the cutoff really in between home and first base, right in the middle there by the pitcher's mound where he was standing, not where you're supposed to be. Bryce Harper, an experienced base runner, tries to test someone who he knows isn't a great defensive player. Now, Alonzo still had a play. He could have cut the ball off still and thrown out Harper. It would have taken a perfect throw. He would have had to field the ball cleanly. He's unable to do so. Kind of struggles to get the ball into his throwing hand and does not put together a good throw, which allows Harper to get to second base. And ultimately, when JT Ramuto gets a hit, that scores the two runs. So it was the first time we've seen Alonzo's glove kind of cost the Mets. But more importantly, Syndergaard could not hold the lead allowing the hits, walking the pitcher, really bad inning for Syndergaard. He ends up getting two more runs of support the next inning when Robinson Cano drives in two with a double, but in the bottom half of the fourth, he once again 
let up. He gives up a two-run homer to Mikel Franco. And at that point, the game is tied up at five. So Syndergaard really struggling right now. He has shown the stuff. It's still there. Like I said, the nine strikeouts tell you his stuff was still there. It's a tough lineup to get through. And I think that's something that we can't lose sight of as we're criticizing the Mets starting pitching throughout the season is there's four great lineups in this division. That That's something that has become evidently clear between the Phillies, the Braves, the Nationals, and the Mets. There is four real formidable lineups where one through eight, there's challenges up and down. So, you know, Michael Franco hit the two-run home run off Syndergaard. That came from the eight hole. And so it, it, it's tough to navigate your way through these lineups. You can understand why the pitchers are having some struggles, but Syndergaard has to be better than that. He's supposed to be a dominant ace, and five runs is really just unacceptable when you're getting that much run support, but Syndergaard is going to figure it out. He still looked pretty good out there overall, but he just has to work on those things, and I'll tell you, when Syndergaard is right, the one thing that doesn't happen is he does not allow home runs. Now, everyone is allowing home runs this year. The ball looks as juiced as ever as teams continue to pound three, four, five home runs a game all across baseball. But Syndergaard's usually not that guy. He's usually one of the best pitchers at keeping the ball in the ballpark. And so far, he has allowed home runs in three of his first four starts. So that's something that tells you that Syndergaard's not quite right. Once he finds his form, the ball will stop leaving the yard. So that's something to look for. But the Mets end up still giving him a chance to get the win because on his way out the door, Brandon Nimmo home runs in the top of the sixth inning, and he leaves the game with a lead. Seth Lugo pitches two scoreless innings of relief. He finally is starting to look like the Lugo we've seen in the past who was really dominant out of the bullpen. He only allowed a walk, did not allow a single hit, so Lugo looking great, but but that does not mean the bullpen pitched well. Jerry's Familia once again found some trouble in the eighth inning, unable to be the reliable setup man. He gives up a hit and walks one to start the inning, but he gets an outstanding defensive play from Jeff McNeil, who had moved over to third base, diving to his left, gets a double play, and it's one of those plays we've seen Familia get so many times in the past. When he's in the middle of a jam, he gets that big double play and works his way out of the inning, but... Familia could not do that in this instance. He ends up walking the next two batters to load the bases, and Mickey Calloway has a decision on his hand. Should he go to Edwin Diaz for the four-out save? Should he stick with Familia, or should he go elsewhere? And so what he decided to do was bring in Robert Gazelman. Gazelman comes into that big spot with the bases loaded, and he walks in a run, which is just one thing you cannot have happen in that spot in a game where the Mets were able to get a lead three times at that point they once again fail to hold the lead and it's due to your inability to throw strikes that just can't happen you can't walk in the tying run in that spot but they do Gazelman ends up getting out of the jam overall though without giving up more runs he pitches a one two three ninth inning The game goes into extra innings. Luis Avalon would pitch a scoreless 10th. And then in the top of the 11th inning, the Mets finally able to break the tie once and for all. As Juan Lagares led off the inning with a base hit, gets moved into scoring position when Brandon Nimmo walks. And then a hard hit ball by Michael Conforto 
eats up Reese Hoskins at first base, and Juan Lagares is able to come around to score. And then in the bottom of the 11th inning, the Mets go to their lockdown closer, Edwin Diaz, and he is able to shut the door, holding a lead for the Mets for the first time all night as they take home their first victory over the Philadelphia Phillies. That is it for the first half. When we get back, we're going to talk about the return of Todd Frazier, how that impacts this team moving forward. Remember, though, to get this show every day, I need you to subscribe to Locked on Mets on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Mets. Guys, let's talk about sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable alternative to Viagra and Cialis with the same FDA-approved active ingredients, so you know they work. You can get them anytime, day or night, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no more waiting in line at the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code MLB. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's Blue, B-L-U-E, Chew.com, promo code MLB to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for supporting this podcast. All right, you're back here with Locked On Mets. Time to talk about the return of the Todd father. Todd Frazier set to come back to the Mets either in the coming days when they're in Philadelphia against the Phillies or definitely before the start of their next series in St. Louis against the Cardinals. Frazier will assume the position that was formerly held by Luis Guillorme on the Mets roster. Guillaume, of course, the backup middle infielder who was just recently sent down to accommodate an eighth arm in the Mets' tax bullpen. Drew Gagnon came up for the start of this series against the Phillies. Either Gagnon or Paul Sewald will be sent down to accommodate the return of Todd Frazier. Now the question remains, how will Frazier get his at-bats in this Mets lineup? The clear person who will get removed, you would think, is J.D. Davis. And that is the question moving forward. J.D. Davis has proven to have a future with the Mets. He has legitimate power. That has been clear. He has the belief of the front office. That is why he has gotten so much playing time early on. And he's proven to have some success. But I think, ultimately, J.D. Davis might be destined to spend a good portion of this year in AAA. I don't know this for sure. I think the Mets are going to try to keep him on the roster. But I think what's best for this team is J.D. Davis going down because Davis, for one, needs to develop his game. When I watch J.D. Davis play compared to a Dominic Smith, which I, I mentioned the two of them in yesterday's show as well, I see someone in Davis who needs some more development. Dominic Smith, his swing seems to be closer to Major League ready. He does not have at-bats where he looks just overpowered at the plate. Davis, when he finds the right matchup, 
is very successful. He has hit three home runs on the season. We've seen that, but we've also seen at-bats where Davis looks lost out there and just simply does not know how to handle a tough pitcher, specifically tough right-handed pitching. So I think Davis can really benefit from playing every day in AAA. This is a guy who is a little bit of a poor defender at third base. He can get all the starts over at third base, really work him into being a solid defender, and give him the at-bats to continue to work on his swing. If you look at his production so far this year, most of it came from one game that Davis hit two home runs and went three for three. If you take that out, Davis is only hitting 200 with one home run and three RBIs. And again, not the best defender at third base. I really believe that Todd Frazier can play the role that Davis is in much better. At third base, Todd Frazier is as good as they come defensively. You're not going to find a lot of holes in his game on that side. He does strike out a lot. He isn't the best hitter for an average, but Todd Frazier is going to run into his home runs. And he has nearly 200 career home runs and almost 4,000 career at-bats. So Frazier brings you major league experience that J.D. Davis just does not have. He has spent a decade in the National League. I think he brings great value in the clubhouse. There's a lot of reasons why Frazier is still on this team. And I think he can perform that role better than J.D. Davis. And also, and also we have to remember the future return of Jed Lowry. When Lowry comes back, he figures to be the everyday third baseman, and that even gives less at-bats to a J.D. Davis or a Todd Frazier. I just don't see how you can have two guys on your bench who are righty power bats. It, it, just, it seems like two redundant pieces when you look at Davis and Todd Frazier, and frankly, Frazier also has a salary that dictates playing time as well. So I think Davis ultimately should end up in the minor leagues. I don't know if the Mets feel that way. Like I said multiple times in the past, Davis clearly has the belief in this front office. But if we're talking about the long-term future of Davis and the Mets, it might make the most sense to have him in the minor leagues. And all of this overshadows the fact that the Mets' best third baseman might be Jeff McNeil. McNeil made two outstanding defensive plays late in that game that remind you that he could be a good defender in the infield. In the outfield, he's getting by in left field. He's making the plays. You haven't seen glaring issues as you've seen with other left field experiments in the past. Daniel Murphy, Don McSmith, these guys come to mind. McNeil's hanging in there, but he made a great diving double play in the eighth and then another diving stop in the ninth. We remember in his rookie season at second base, McNeil played really well defensively and that is ultimately where he is best. And you look at McNeil, he is one of the few Mets right now that just cannot be taken out of the lineup. If you're looking at guys right now who need to play every day, McNeil might be at the top of that list. He went 3-for-5 in this last game. He has 21 hits in his 52 at-bats, a 404 average, 475 on-base percentage. He clearly is an absolute hitting machine that needs to be in the lineup every day. They could continue to get by with him in the outfield, but I think the Mets are best 
with McNeil over at third base and having a natural center fielder like a Keon Broxton or a Juan Lagares in center. You would like to see Broxton ultimately win that center field job as the season goes on, and then you're left with one position at third for Jed Lowry, Todd Frazier, and Jeff McNeil, but defensively all around the team is so much better with a natural center fielder and really with McNeil at third base. So right now there's a lot of moving parts with this team. I think these problems solve themselves most times, but the Mets are in a roster crunch, and it's something that we will have to continue to dissect until we get some clarity, until everyone is healthy and we see everyone playing in their roles. It's just something to look at, what to do with all these players. If the Mets could go to a 30-man roster, they'd be set, but as long as it's 25, it's going to be a crunch to get everyone playing time and to keep everyone crisp and sharp in this NL East division race. Anyway, more on that as the week goes on. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on the new Himalaya Podcast app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Also, don't forget, when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Mets.